0: It is uh, it's good to be back in the great state of North Carolina, though I have to say it was, uh, it was considerably cooler in Texas than it normally is, which was, uh, was nice. It could only rain once, but heard it rained a lot here, but it was dry, and uh, we had a good time. So thank you again for allowing us the privilege of being away for a couple of weeks. Thanks to uh, Jim and Chad for filling in. Uh, if you missed uh, that, you missed uh, some good encouragement. So I would encourage you to you can go online our website and, and listen to that if you'd like to catch up on, on what went on when we were away. Y'all come in and find a seat, and we will get started here in just a moment. Um, last Sunday we were uh, my brother's and his wife's church. Uh, and The Sunday before that we were uh, in Lubbock. And there was a baptism that happened uh, in that church in Lubbock. Um, And I didn't know the girl, obviously, didn't know the situation surrounding all that took place with uh, her conversion, her decision to be baptized. And so therefore, it sort of kind of wasn't very exciting. And that was, I confess, a, a mistake. There was something wrong with that. Because baptism is this wonderful expression of the reality of the truth of what God has done in our lives. And whether we're the one being baptized or whether we're watching that, um, we should be reminded of the fact that it's an opportunity for us to, uh, as Jim talked about a couple weeks ago, enter into the worship that is taking place. And to remind ourselves of of what happened to us at our baptism and what has really happened since the beginning of the church down through the centuries as people have continued to follow the command of Christ to be baptized. And I missed that because instead of thinking about what was really going on, what was being signified as, uh, as that girl chose to be obedient and be baptized, I think I was just thinking about something else and missed an opportunity to be reminded of the spiritual reality that was present, missed an opportunity to worship with that body. Um, Granted, had I known something about her or her experience, there might have been some more emotional content wrapped up in that. Um, But as we all know, emotions can be very fickle. And the reality is we've been called to, as a body, worship when we gather together. Um, and so to to my shame and embarrassment, I, I missed that opportunity. And this morning, I don't want us to miss an opportunity because we have an opportunity, whether through song, through prayer, through time in the Word this morning, we have an opportunity to worship. And so let's pray together and prepare our hearts, and then we will sing. Father, we thank you for this morning. and just for the opportunity that You have given us because of what Your Son has done for us on the cross together in worship. And so, God, we pray and we ask that You would um, accept our worship, whether that's in song, as we spend time in fellowship, as we spend time looking at Your Word. God, I pray that You would encourage us, but also that You would keep us from distraction. Help us to be mindful of um, the words that we sing, The words that we say to one another, the words that we hear, that we might be encouraged and edified and built up as individuals and as a body, but most of all, that you may be glorified. So we look forward to our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing together? Life there's salvation. Thank you that you're beautiful beyond all we can imagine, all we can hope. I pray that we would take that to heart; that it would change us. I pray that you'd speak through your word. You'd speak through Michael. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, again, good morning and welcome to Christ Community Church. It is—it's uh, good to see each and every one of you again. We have—we uh, have missed the mountains, but we have more than that missed you, um, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. It is a—it is a joy to be back. Uh, at least one of the girls had said. We were three or four days from being back, and can we just go home now? <laughs> um, and that's that's encouraging. I, this is this is home, that's a good thing. Linda has a bulletin. There's an outline in the bulletin. You can follow along. We are going to begin in Romans six this morning, and uh, also spend a little time in Matthew chapter three. So, if you would raise your hand, she would have she would hand that to you. Uh, welcome back to Sarah. Good to see you. And. Um, Maybe we can hear about the trip next week, or you'll be here next week, right? You want to spend a few minutes next week telling us about Serbia and all that went on. I know some of you followed along with her as she wrote about some of her experiences. Um, We'll get a chance to hear from her next week about about some of that, so looking forward to that. Uh, Adult Sunday School class that meets second hour, we are going to begin uh, sort of this week, but really next week... um, just a long journey through the Minor Prophets, if you're interested in that. We'll do an introduction today of that, but that's what we will be... There's 12 Minor Prophets, you know, that's more than 12 weeks. So however long that lasts, we will do that and just talk about the, the beauty of, uh, of God's Word and those, those clean white pages in your Bible that you might really not ever get to because it's confusing. We'll see if we can dirty those up for you a little bit. Any other announcements? You know, we have been out, so maybe I'm missing something or not aware of something. Anything else we need to know this morning? Oh, yeah, the youth uh, is going to be doing a uh, wet water rafting next next Sunday. So, on the Halo, families are invited. Um, I just need to get a count so I can get the reservation um, for the rafts. Okay. Uh, rafts, duckies, so kids, young kids are welcome. Um, with the family. So it'll be right after church, grab a sandwich, and then we'll head to the river. Okay, so give Tim a number that includes kids and adults so he can make reservations. And when do you need that by? Uh, sometime by tomorrow. I'll make reservations by, by tomorrow. Okay, so send him an email or let him know today after church. Anything else? Okay, let's begin in Romans 6. Uh, This morning in the coming weeks, I don't know how long this will take. Part of that depends on some stuff we talk about in just a little bit. Uh, We're going to spend two or three weeks at least talking about the two ordinances or sacraments of the church, baptism and communion. Their importance to us as a body and to us as individuals. Uh, This morning we're going to look at baptism. But first, a definition. Uh, This is from our doctrinal statement, uh, what we as a, a church believe about these two things. The Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which visibly and tangibly express the gospel. While they are not the means of salvation, when celebrated by the church in genuine faith, these ordinances confirm and nourish the believer. So that's kind of our basis, for our starting point. Um, this morning we talk about baptism specifically, and I want to give you a kind of a working definition for this morning. It's not complete. It's certainly not perfect. Uh, But what this this definition talks about is is what baptism represents, what it communicates, both to the person that may be undergoing baptism, but also to us as a church, what it should remind us of. This is our starting point um, this morning. Baptism is an outward expression of our identification with Christ's death and resurrection, which reminds us that we are prepared to be citizens of God's kingdom here on earth and reminds us of the Spirit's empowerment to live a Christ-like life. Did you know that's what baptism does, all that? Did you know that's what it what it communicates, what it signifies? What it should communicate as we view a baptism or as we undergo our own baptism, um, whether explicitly or implicitly, these things should sort of be in the back of our minds. Uh, there are wonderful truths that God has, has given us through our salvation. and Baptism is a... Uh, a great reminder to us as the body when we participate together as someone is baptized of these truths. We're going to go through them one at a time. Our identification, the fact that we are prepared to be dual citizens, and our empowerment by the Spirit. So we're going to talk about those three things this morning. So first, our identification with Christ's death and resurrection from Romans 6. I read that just a little while ago. Um, let me... Let me tell you what Paul's doing in Romans 6. To do that, we've got to back up to, to the first five chapters. Just a very brief and very rough outline of, of the first five chapters of Romans. He begins by making a statement that everybody, every single person that shows up on planet earth is, or fails to meet up to God's perfect standard. Not only, just, not only do they just fail to meet up to His standard, they really couldn't care less about His standard. And so, this amazing thing happens is that through love, the Son of God, Jesus, says, I will exchange my righteousness for the judgment that they deserve. I will take the judgment that they deserve for their selfless, apathetic concern for God's holy law. And I will take that judgment upon myself And in exchange for that, I will give people my perfect righteousness. And then, what what makes that transaction happen for us is faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. When we place our faith in the death and resurrection of Christ for forgiveness of sins, that exchange, that transaction takes place. We get God's righteousness... And we no longer face the judgment that we deserve for who we are. Not just the things that we do, but the fact that we show up sinful. That we show up depraved and and really unconcerned and uncaring about who God is. And so, in chapter 6 now, Paul is thinking about the fact that some people look at that and go... You know that's not a bad deal. I can trust in God and get His righteousness, and then some people then, and maybe should, be driven to the fact that, oh, you know what? I've found a loophole. If I really am saved through faith, and if grace really does abound because of my sin, then why not? Why not live like I want to because I'm covered. Right? And Paul recognizes that those thoughts are bound to come through our minds. (laughs) Because he knows himself. And so he begins Romans 6. What shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Are we to take advantage of this wonderful opportunity of eternal life and just kind of live like we want to? And he says in the most strongest terms, may it never be. And then what is happening in Romans 6 is he's explaining, wait a minute, if that really is your thought, then you missed something in your understanding of what it means to put your faith in Christ, His death and resurrection for forgiveness of sins. You missed something critical. You missed something important. What you missed was the fact that when you say, God, I'm trusting in You for salvation, that you're identifying with His death and resurrection. He says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? We've been united with Him in death. We have have said, just like Christ gave up, chose selflessly to give up all all that He was for us, when we identify with Him We are communicating that I'm giving up self. That I'm dying to self. Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him. And the argument Paul's making is, is, is if we understand that, that when we've placed our faith and the death and res- resurrection of Christ, and identified with Him and united ourselves with Him, that we have crucified our old self. We have put sin to death. And so, therefore, it's, it's incongruous for us to say, I'm just going to go on sinning. I'm just going to go on continuing to live my life the way I want to. And praise be to God, there's grace. He'll forgive me. Actually, yes, He will forgive you, but you've missed an integral part of the gospel. And so what baptism communicates when when we come for baptism and when we go down into the water and when someone puts us under the water, what we are communicating and what each of us should be reminded when we see that is that I have died to self. I have died to that old person who loved sin. That's no longer me. As Paul would say, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the picture that baptism should communicate and should remind us of. That we have identified ourselves with Christ's death and resurrection. And that should be both an encouragement to us and a challenge to us. It should be an encouragement to us because Paul says, if you've been united with him in his death, then you also will be in his resurrection. And that's a wonderful promise. When we say, I am dying to who I was, what God says is, I'm giving you life real life, eternal life. You want to be fully alive, you want to have your personality fully developed. You want to be who you really were intended to be, then die to yourself and let me remake you, God says. Then you'll really be who you were intended to be. You'll really be alive. Not just here, but for eternity. That's the encouragement. And when you see someone baptized or when you yourself come for baptism, that should be a reminder of the truth of that reality. I now have eternal life. But it's also a challenge because we know, everyone in here knows, we make that commitment. We say, I'm going to live for You, God. And then the world seeks to tempt us and our flesh seeks to derail us and the devil seeks to get us off track. And it's really easy to then want to begin or find ourselves caught up in sin and just kind of live in day to day. Well, I know God will forgive me. And we, just, we get in this tug of war between our flesh and the Spirit. And sometimes we choose poorly. And Paul gives us a challenge like in verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. You really do now, through the Spirit's power, have control over whether you sin or not. Do not go on presenting the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness. Do you make allowances? Do you make excuses? Have you set your life up in such a way that you kind of dabble around the edges? You know, the little kid, don't go in the kitchen, mommy's just mopped and so... Do you play with sin that way? When you know that you're not supposed to do something, do you still just kind of dabble around the edges and... And you know as as well as I do, right? There's a beautiful body of water and and so I'm just going to put my ankles in but it feels really good because it's a hot day. And well, I won't go in past my knees, right? And and, And before long, you're where you're not supposed to be. That's how sin works. Paul says, don't do that. Don't go on presenting your members as instruments of righteousness. Don't play around with sin. And that's the challenge of baptism. Again, when we see... A baptism taking place that should remind us we've identified with His death and His resurrection. We're new creations. The old man has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Are you living like that? Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 3. That identification should remind us then that we really are prepared, as the the second part says, oh, back up one, Phil. We really are prepared to be citizens of God, citizens of the kingdom of God here on earth. You are prepared to live as dual citizens. Let me see if I can explain this to you. Let me read the first six verses of of Matthew chapter 3, and then I'm going to try to unpack this. Now, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his through was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around Jordan. And they were being baptized by Him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. In in that day, the day of John the Baptist and Jesus, and even before that, uh, baptism was, was not an uncommon thing. And what baptism was for was preparation for something coming. So John announced, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You need to get yourselves ready. And how they got themselves ready was coming and confessing and then being baptized. It's a symbol of of cleansing, of preparedness. Almost exactly the same thing that happened on Mount Sinai. God said, I'm about to show up. Prepare the people. Everybody needs to, to wash. Just a symbol of, an outward symbol of an inward preparation of meeting God. And so everybody would have recognized what was taking place. This is simply a symbol of preparation. And so at the day of Pentecost, when things had changed just slightly, or maybe not just slightly, and 3,000 people were baptized, not in John's baptism, but a baptism of the Holy Spirit and Christ, people that were looking on would have still thought, they're preparing for something. They're getting ready for something. Now, we know that baptism is far more than that, as is evident from Acts 19. There was a bunch of disciples that Paul found in Ephesus who had been baptized into John's baptism. And when he explained, because they were looking for the Messiah. They had been taught about who Jesus was, but they hadn't really accepted Him because they still were looking forward to Him. When he explained the way of Jesus more thoroughly, the text says, then he rebaptized them. So we know that baptism is not just about preparation. But it's not less than that. Because you see, that idea of the fact that we have now died with Christ and have been raised with Him, that idea should remind us that that I am now prepared to live in this world as a citizen of God's kingdom. How do we know that? Well, when when we place our faith in the death and resurrection of Christ, several things happen. The Bible uses lots of terminology, one of which is we've been adopted as God's children. We've been given, we've been placed into a new family. We're adopted as His sons and daughters. Paul also writes in Ephesians that we are now citizens, this new reality. We've become citizens of the kingdom of God. Nonetheless, we're still stuck in this world. Hey, Phil, go back to that Rose of Sharon song. I think it's maybe the third from the last verse. Keep going. Right there. Go back. That one. I'm living low down in the valley where sweet Rose of Sharon doth bloom. That's a great picture of us. We really are living low down in the valley. We're still on earth with all of its temptations and trials and persecutions and frustrations and decay. Yet, nonetheless, where we are, the rose of Sharon doth bloom. As we talked about a minute ago, the idea that of all that there is, Jesus is, is, compared to everything else, this beautiful rose and everything else is thorns, as Brandon said. And so we have this dual citizenship that's ongoing. And baptism is a picture of the fact that we are prepared to live that way. Right? You never need to think, I can't do it. I, I don't have what I need. Because of God and what He has done through the death of His Son, you really are prepared to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God in the midst of this world. When, when we face the injustice of this world, We can look on our salvation and remember that the just one will one day bring everything into justice, will set everything right. When we face persecution in this world, we can do so with joy because this is not our permanent home, and that persecution is certainly not permanent. And so we can face that as the early disciples did with joy. because we have been raised to walk in newness of life. So our baptism is a symbol of the fact that we are prepared to live in this world. And so when you witness a baptism, would you, in your mind, think, I am prepared. God has given me all that I need for salvation and for living this life now, today. I can do that. Why or how? Well, the last part of that reminds that, that we really are empowered to do so. Because what baptism signifies is the baptism by the Holy Spirit. When, when God, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, came and indwelt each of us who have put our faith in the death and resurrection of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And so we, we now have the living God dwelling in us And when we submit ourselves to Him and are mindful of His presence, when the world says, you know, you really ought to react in hate or anger, we can choose to react in love. When the world says, you know, things are getting worse and worse, you really should respond with despair, we can respond in hope. Because we have new life and we have the promise of eternal life. When the world offers us gloom, we can respond in joy, but also compassion for people because we have a truth that there is something better than what the world offers. So when we think about baptism, I want us to, in the future, whenever you see a baptism, I want you to to have these things in the back of your mind. And be reminded that these things are true for... These things are true for us as a body of Christ. We've identified with the death and resurrection of Christ and therefore we have life. We are prepared as individuals and collectively to engage the world and offer them something better because we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the life that God has called us to live. Now, I realize that a lot of that is is maybe up here. Uh, maybe not necessarily practical. Some of you may have questions, other questions about baptism. We'll get to that for a second. Um, But first, there may be some people in here who have trusted in Christ's death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins, but you've never been baptized. When we do that, we are proclaiming these truths and saying, this is true for me, and communicating to the church This is also true for you. This is true for us as a body. And so if you're in that position, you've trusted in Christ, but you've never been baptized, I would encourage you, I would challenge you that you need to do that. In obedience to what Christ calls us to, but also as an encouragement to the rest of us. A way to to build up your brothers and sisters in Christ. There also may be some of you who never have trusted in Christ in His death and resurrection for forgiveness of sins. If that's you and you have questions about that, there's still some things that you'd like to know. Please talk to me at some point in time. Or there are several others in here who would love to help you figure that out, to understand what that means. There may, There's some very practical things that, that we haven't talked about this morning. Uh, that, it, that I want to address next week. But some of you may have some questions about baptism in general. Uh, and what I would like to do is address some of those either next week or the week after. Um, so, uh, spend a second. If there's something that you would like for me to specifically address next week or if there's not time the week after, um, you can tell that to me right now. Something that you would like to talk about. Maybe a particular passage. Maybe something about baptism. Uh, what the church believes or why they believe or why we do things a certain way. Um, if you feel brave enough to say it out loud now, or you can tell me afterward, um, anything that you would that you think we need to discuss as a body—I mean, I have some ideas—but uh, would love for if there's something that's nagging in the back of your mind that you say, "I need to know what that means."